Well, if you have a Bible or a phone or something, turn with me or punch it up. Matthew 28, verse 1. Real simple today. We'll look at the resurrection. It makes sense on uh, this Resurrection Sunday. Matthew 28. And I want to read the, the, the narrative of the resurrection um, from, from Matthew's account. And asking that God would bring his own application to our hearts and wisdom to our lives from it. And so let me start with verse 1, all right? This is the day of resurrection. It says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Amen. May God add the blessing to the reading of his word. And may God bless you today on this day when we commemorate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Last Friday, or this past Friday, we celebrated that through the torturous death of Jesus, God spread and brought to us his transforming love for our hearts and our lives and now confirmed in that testimony of our forgiveness because Jesus died is his resurrection. Without this moment, we could never be sure if we're really forgiven. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, the cross of Jesus Christ has all the validity and the power for those who believe in him. Now what I want to say and what I want to just focus on with this, with this narrative of the resurrection of Jesus is this. What I've noted before is that Jesus, when he defeats death, he doesn't do a touchdown dance. He doesn't do, you know, some jig. He doesn't do a dance. He doesn't, he doesn't show off. He doesn't start gloating. He doesn't start doing any of that stuff. If I would have defeated death, I would have done a touchdown dance. Can I get an Amen. I would have been like Cam Newton, you know. You know, I mean, I would have gone. I would have gone crazy. I thought that was good. That didn't work in the first service either, but still, we'll, we'll keep going. I, I would have found a lily, all right? I would have found a lily like this. Boy, it smells beautiful up here, by the way. I would have grabbed the lily, and I would have said, boom, take that, baby. And then I would have gone and found the soldiers that mocked me. I would have found the people that spit on me. I would have found the guys that, that bought and sold my, my, my clothes at the foot of the cross. I would have found them, and they would have been the first to be judged. And then I would have gone and found Peter and said, where's Peter? My good friend that denied me three times. 
My good friend that abandoned me in my worst moment of darkness. I would have defeated death, walked out of the tomb, and I would have found Peter. And at the very least, well, we would have had words. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. He doesn't do what we think he's going to do. And the reason why it's, it's declared like that, the reason why the narrative works like that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all the other testimonies of the resurrection of Jesus is because of this one great piece of good news. The resurrection of Jesus is not the end of what God is doing in this world. It is the very beginning. The resurrection of Jesus is not so that people will find themselves in judgment, but the, so people can be saved The resurrection is not about saying, I told you so. It's about, hey, now I've come and I've defeated death so that you can defeat death. The resurrection is about the new life and the new beginning for all people who believe in it. And that's why when Jesus meets his disciples, when Jesus meets these women, he was like, we're only just beginning. I've got work for you to do. We've got business to do. One of my favorite movies of all time is Shawshank Redemption. Have you guys ever seen that movie? Isn't that the greatest movie? Like like there's Braveheart and then there's Shawshank Redemption. You know what I'm saying? And my favorite line in that movie is, get busy living or get busy dying. And you know what you have? You have a world, a society, a culture, nations that are busy dying They're busy being, their life is being stolen by sin and Satan and darkness. And you and I, we're tempted to get busy dying by putting all of our trust in things that can't save us and and buying into promises that, that the world cannot keep. And what we're asked to do by Jesus is now to center our life on getting busy living in light of the resurrection and in light of his mission for our life. You and I get to live again because of the resurrection of Jesus. And I don't know all of you. Some of you I know kind of. Others of you I know better. But I do know this, that we all need to be reminded that death in any form, emotional, spiritual, even physical death, should not rule or dominate our life, but we can have new life in Jesus Christ. We can get busy living because of the resurrection and the mission of Jesus Christ. Now, we ask ourselves an important question. How? How can I get busy living in the mission and in the resurrection of Jesus? How can I do this thing that I'm called to do? I'm ready for a new life. I'm ready to live for something that's as large as the defeat of death. I'm ready to begin to experience and to absorb and be defined by the resurrection of Jesus. How do I do that? And I've got three things. Are you surprised about the three? I got three things. Here's how you get busy living in the resurrection mission of Jesus Christ. Number one, walk in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Walk in light of the resurrection of Jesus. When these women showed up at that tomb, what they were expecting was death. What they were expecting was that, we know from the Gospel of Mark, they took spices. They, they expected to perfume the dead body of Jesus and to kind of, to kind of flower it up a little bit and, and make it appropriate, make it, make it ritually okay that his body lay in that grave. But when they showed up, 
They discovered that an angel from God had descended and moved away the stone. And his invitation was, I don't want you to walk in the expectation of death. I want you to walk in light of the resurrection. Come and see. Go and tell. Jesus is alive. Walk in light of the resurrection. Now, how would your life change? If you began to walk in light that death had been defeated by your God, your creator, your savior, what would your life begin to do? How would your life look differently if you really believed that Jesus defeated death? It would change. Whenever you walk in light of something that's great and beautiful and wonderful, your life begins to change. I remember the first time I saw Sherry Baby. I saw her at church. And I remember trying to rehearse how I was going to meet her. I didn't know what kind of Christian lines, you know, what kind of godly lines could I use to attract her to me. Like, hey, baby, nice Bible. You know, I didn't know. <laughs> I won't tell you my line, but what I will tell you is we went, <laughs> we went, <laughs> we, went out on, we went out on our first date. And you know what I did? I cleaned out my car. I took that old bag of McDonald's with the old fries that are three weeks old, and I threw it into a trash can, and I wiped the dashboard, and I took my Alpine detachable face stereo, and I, I polished it and cleaned it and made the car look all good and, and, and took all my dirty clothes out of the back seat, and I, I did put it in my trunk because I didn't figure she'd look in there. You know what I'm saying? And, and I did all this stuff. And, and, and one of the things that I didn't do, though, is I, in my, on my mirror, I don't know if y'all used to do this, but I had all this stuff hanging from that mirror. You know what I mean? I had a bandana, and I had my 1994 graduation tassel hanging from the mirror, you know what I'm saying? Class of 94, baby, you know? And, and I had like one of those feathers that you put on a cowboy hat hanging from there. I had all this stuff hanging. Look, it, looked like, it looked like a hornet's nest hanging from my mirror. And we go out on this first date, and I felt like it was a pretty charming guy, you know, and it was a cool car, it was a sports car, it was nice, and, and we're going, and about halfway in the date, she kind of looked at me, and she, and she pointed at the, at the hornet's nest of stuff, and she said, she's like, do you like that stuff on your mirror like that? And I said, no, and I, I took it off, and I threw it in the back seat, and I was like, it's forever gone. You see, when you begin to walk in light of something really great and marvelous, you begin to change. You begin to, you begin to say, what do I need to take out of my car? What do I need to take out of my living room? What do I need to take out of my relationship so it'll grow? What do I need to take out of my, out of my attitudes? How do I need to change in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And it doesn't matter what type of person you are. In the resurrection of Jesus is something uniquely special and powerful for you. It doesn't matter what your personality type is. You might be a completely emotional person. How many of y'all are really emotional people? Don't raise your hand. That would be... <laughs> Sue's like, I'm in. Yeah, it's me. Right? And the first... I love the fact that the first thing that both Jesus and the angels said to the women is, is they say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I've heard that in the Bible... The phrase, do not be afraid, is used 365 times. I didn't have time to count that last night to see if that's accurate, but that's really neat if it's true. Because that would mean that there is, for every day of the year, a confession, don't be afraid. The resurrection of Jesus is uniquely powerful for those who are afraid. And many of us, we're afraid about all kinds of different things. We're anxious, we're worried. 
Some of us, we get anxious about politics. Lately, right now, that's kind of on the radar of every, you know, we're watching 24-hour news all the time, and you watch, and then you read the scroll down at the bottom, and then you, you get online, and you go to realclearpolitics.com, and you start getting all freaked out, and our nation is lost, and it's going to, it's going to hell in a handbasket, and all these politicians, and they're just absurd. These people are just absurd. Aren't they absurd? And we get freaked out and we get afraid. And you know what God says to us? God says the righteous man is not afraid of bad news. Why? Because Jesus has defeated death. He's on the throne and nothing can change that. Certainly politicians can't change that. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Some of you, you're afraid about circumstances. Maybe you've gotten the news of, of sickness. Maybe you're, maybe you're dealing with some overwhelming thing. And I, I don't want to make light of that. I don't want to be cavalier about that. But I want you to know God is the God of all comfort. And he meets us where we're at. And he says, even death can't separate you from my love. You don't have to be afraid. For all those who believe in Jesus Christ, even though they die, they will live. Because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, even when he dies, he will live. We will live with Jesus. We will live with a resurrected body with Jesus Christ. We don't have to be afraid. But real appropriate exegesis of Matthew 28. The real fear of these women. And by the way, the disciples is their standing with God. When they meet the divine, when they realize that Jesus has defeated death, you know what they all think? We're in trouble. Because if Jesus has defeated death, then God is real. He's no mere theory or concept. He's no philosophy. He's no theology. If, if Jesus has defeated death, that means God is alive. And at some point in time, I'm going to have to deal with this living, holy, awesome God who's defeated death. And I got a feeling when I pull back the filing cabinet of my life and I see my flaws and I see my sin and I see my failures and I see my imperfections and I see my hypocrisy... And my duplicity. See, when I pull that filing cabinet back, you know what I begin to do? I begin to get scared. I'm afraid. So I've got real guilt. Preaching the gospel ain't going to save me. Coming to church ain't going to save me. If God is that real, as having defeated death, I'm scared about that. And you know why the angel and Jesus say, don't be afraid? Because the angel said Jesus was crucified. And when he said that Jesus was crucified, that means that Jesus paid for our sin. And he provides forgiveness, a forgiveness that leads to freedom from sin so that we don't have to be afraid. And we might be broken and we might be wounded, but we're not defeated. We can come as broken people, as imperfect people, confidently to the throne of grace and mercy. Because Jesus is my Savior and he's absorbed my imperfections. And he's defeated death so I can have a power to walk in the newness of life and become a new person with a new mind and a new heart and a new disposition to God, I don't have to be afraid spiritually anymore, and neither do you. Are you walking in light of your forgiveness? Don't waste it. Don't waste the grace of God. Don't waste his forgiveness. Don't say, well, yeah, that's no problem. I don't have to be afraid. So now I can just go do whatever. No, no, no. God's calling you into a relationship of, of no fear that leads to freedom from those things that are binding us. 
You might have sin crippling bondage and strongholds this morning. And I want you to know that even just a little step forward in the power of the resurrection could go a long ways for you if you would just realize that he has power so you can be transformed. Walk in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Come and see that the tomb is empty. Go and tell that this resurrection means new life for all who believe. Walk in light of the resurrection of Jesus. Here's the second thing. Watch out for attack. Now listen, as soon as you and I start going, I believe this. Like, I'm a new creation. I'm a new person. I, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not afraid anymore. And, and, I, and I've seen the empty tomb. And I believe that Jesus, and I'm worshiping him at church. And I'm hearing from him in scripture. And, and he's speaking to me. As soon as that happens, listen to me. Attack is right around the corner. Because the powers of darkness and Satan. Satan is a, is a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to destroy all the good work that God does in churches, all the good work that God's doing in human beings through Jesus Christ. Satan is real. Demons are real. Darkness is real. You're like, why are you bringing up Satan on Easter Sunday? Because Jesus defeated death to defeat the devil. Amen? And that's, that's real. Listen, we're not, we're not a sentimental church, man. I know we're pretty today. I know we got... This is beautiful, and that the lilies and all that. But listen, move all the sentimental, like no Easter bunny or eggs. Let's just talk reality. The world has fallen. Evil is real. And Satan hates God. He hates God so much he doesn't want you to know God. And for those of you who do know God, he wants to attack you. And you got to watch for that attack. Now watch for the attack in Matthew 28. Look at this. As soon as they get going on mission... As soon as Jesus says, go and tell, that's when the anti-mission happens. As soon as they believe in the message, that's when the anti-message happens. Matthew 28, verse 11, while they were going, you could underline that, like literally as soon as they decide, yeah, we're going for Jesus, I'm in on this God thing. As soon as that happens, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people. Now, there's your anti-message. There's your anti-sermon. Your anti-proclamation. Tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him. And keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this, this story has been spread among the Jews to this very day. The anti-mission. The lie, the conspiracy theory began as soon as Jesus defeated death and people began to believe in it and understand it. The first theory of the empty tomb is recorded right here. It's the stolen body theory. It's the, it's the theory that the disciples came and had the wherewithal to outwit and outstrength the Roman soldiers, take the body out of the tomb, and then go and hide it somewhere, and then ultimately to become martyrs because they would all die for their faith, ultimately to become martyrs for a lie that they had stolen the body of Jesus Christ. Now listen, we got to be real honest about the disciples. They were not the most clever fellows that you've ever met in the face of the earth, right? And not only that, they were not the most brave guys either. 
when Jesus was dying on the cross, most of them were gone. The toughest disciple of the bunch, Peter, denied Jesus three times. He was the biggest, baddest dude of all 12 of the dudes. The only disciple that was at the cross when Jesus was dying was John. And John's like the sweet, lovey guy. He's like soft and fluffy and like, let me give you a hug. He's not the guy that's going to go and, 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 and steal a body. The other theories that have come up over the years and over the centuries about why the tomb is empty, another one is called the swoon theory. The swoon theory is that Jesus passed out, that three days later he came back to, he moved the stone away, snuck out while the soldiers were guarding the tomb. But any of us who've studied the passage, we know that Jesus was, he was whipped, he was Dragged, he was spit upon, he was dying of excruciating pain on the cross. He had blood, his body was pierced in so many different ways. They stuck a spear in his side and the water and the blood came out. Can Jesus then come back from being passed out, move a stone away, go and show himself to all the disciples as completely okay and having passed out? I mean, that would be like me saying right before I came to church today, you know, I got ran over by a truck today, but I still made it to preach, and I look this good. You know, you'd be like, that didn't happen. The other theory, I'll give you one more. I'm I'm not going to go through all of them. The other theory that's come up over the years is the hallucination theory. The hallucination theory is that the disciples hallucinated that Jesus was risen, and I'm convinced, I am convinced that this was created in the 1960s. A bunch of intellectuals, you know, they're sitting around on LSD, you know what I mean? And they're hitting the, the crack pipe or whatever. And they're going, dude, what happened on Resurrection Sunday? And they were like, the disciples found some shrooms in Galilee, man. And they began to hallucinate that Jesus was alive. And they saw Smurfs and Care Bears and Jesus alive from the dead. Although I think Smurfs and Care Bears were later than the 60s. But still, that was my own job. We won't go into me. Anyways. Here's the thing, though. Here's what I want to say. You can study those theories and Christian apologetics is books on this stuff. But underneath all of these theories is a basic human problem. And you can dress it up with sophisticated philosophy and intellectual integrity. And people can start seeming like they're so above everything and they're so sophisticated and intellectual. Underneath all of us is a heart that doesn't believe in the reality of God. And it's true. If I were to come and say, I died and I raised myself from the dead today, you would go, that's the most unreasonable, ridiculous thing in the world. And you would be right. The reason why you would be right is because I'm not God. But if we say that God exists, created the heavens and the earth, and his son came into the world and defeated death, that might be incomprehensible, but it's completely rational and consistent with the presupposition that God exists. All theories against the resurrection has nothing to do with theories, but everything to do with people's relationship to whether God exists or not. You know, it's been said, no one disbelieves in the existence of God except for those to whom the existence of God is not convenient. God is not convenient for a lot of human beings. And as soon as he's not convenient for our hearts, that's when we begin to rationalize that he's not real, he doesn't exist, and he won't hold anybody accountable. 
It's never, listen, don't ever believe that it's science against God. It's always bias against God. That is what it's about. It's about darkness. And that's why the moment we do begin to believe and we get rid of those biases and we become new creations and we begin to follow God, that's why Satan is going to come. And we're going to think it's about theories or we're going to think it's so rational to not believe about God, but it's completely spiritual. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And as we stand strong in the strength that Jesus provides... First John chapter 2 says, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. This is spiritual stuff going on. And if you're not a believer, it has nothing to do with sophisticated arguments. It has everything to do with your heart with God. And God is calling you to turn away from your disbelief and your bias against him, to turn away from having your back towards him and to turn your face towards him and to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Don't let society or Satan or your own sin keep you from getting what Jesus has purchased for you in his resurrection. Watch for that attack. Walk in light of the... You're like, how can I get busy living on mission? Walk in light of the resurrection. Secondly, walk in... Walk watching for attack, and here's the third thing, witness to the resurrection through community. You know, our excitement for Jesus on an individual level is not nearly enough to either handle the powers of darkness or fulfill the purpose and call of God in our life. We need community. We need each other. The perseverance of faith is a community project. And we live in a very individualistic society. We must evict individualism from our lives and remember that God has called us to be together so we can protect each other in this world of darkness, so that we can encourage one another, and ultimately so that we can be inspired with dreams and visions of how we might glorify God in this world with this gospel. Jesus says in Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, It says, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And I love that. By the way, you know what? No church is perfect. And in the middle of our worship is always a taint of doubt. I love the fact that these disciples, and this is a church service on this mountain. This is a call to the church to come together and worship together. And as they come together, they're missing Judas. And so they're not 12, they're 11. And in the midst of their worship, they even have doubt. And yet Jesus doesn't stop and say, you know what? I was going to do this great thing through you. But because you doubt, I'm going to have to do a whole big lesson on rebuking you. First of all, go find Judas and bring him to me. Second of all... Stop doubting. He doesn't do any of that. Nor, by the way, now, now that I'm thinking about it, this is the second service, so I don't have to worry about time. Everybody's like, first service next week, please. Now that I'm thinking about it, Jesus doesn't even worry about the anti-mission. He doesn't say, oh my gosh, people are lying about my body being stolen. Oh my gosh, they're lying. They have all these theories that are so sophisticated. Oh my gosh, you've got to go answer all those theories. You've got to create seminary classes and and a bunch of, of rooms and really get smart. He doesn't do any of that. You know what he does? He goes straight into the mission. And what he does to this imperfect church, this imperfect community, in a world with all of its anti God theories, he says, don't even worry about it. In fact, he says in verse 18, 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Everybody say go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you come to Cross Point long enough, you're going to hear me repeat myself a million times on various sayings. And one of the sayings that we always say and we always remind each other, because I need to be reminded of it, and so do you. God didn't save us to be the individuals of God. God saved us to be the people of God. And we don't have to be on mission on, on our own. We don't have to feel like that we take on the full great commission on our own shoulders. We get to do it together. That's why it's, called, it's not called the great mission. It's called the great commission community and mission. Another saying that we say, and if you're investigating Crosspoint, this is what Crosspoint's all about. The mission is not about being community. The community exists to be on mission. That's why we exist together. And we exist for two fundamental things. The first thing is we exist to convert people to Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, you're like, you're like, all you Christians want to do is convert me to Jesus. Absolutely. Amen. We want to convert you. We want you to cross the line of faith. What would I have done if a preacher or if a Christian didn't come to me and say, Josh, you knucklehead. And that's basically what was said to me. You've got to turn and believe and get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not that water baptism saves people. It expresses what salvation is. We get washed by faith in Jesus. We are about evangelizing and converting people to Jesus. Here's the second thing. We're about educating and discipling believers. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Every resurrection passage, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the community is gathered together, especially Luke. It's a church service, and Jesus opens up the Bible on the day of his resurrection, and he teaches them from Moses, from the prophets, from all of the Old Testament. Here I am. I was always there. I was always God's answer for humanity. I was always predicted in the Bible. Don't you see that here is wisdom? We exist to educate, to make disciples that make disciples. That means we come, we open up a Bible, we look at Bible verses, we talk about the riches of God and connecting it to the realities of life. We come and see and learn and we go and tell Jesus is risen. We are on mission together. And just real practically, and I'll be done this morning, real practically as a church, let you know what we do. As a church, the way we do Great Commission together is, number one, we worship together. Even though we're imperfect, even though we're broken, we're not defeated. Even though we're wounded, we're getting stronger as we come and worship him together. The second thing is we learn together. We open up a Bible. We learn what it says. The third thing is we connect to community together. We have life groups. We have fun life events all the time so that we can meet each other and be in community together. And then the final thing is we encourage each other to go from church. 
that the message wouldn't stop with us, but it would spread through us. And there's two ways that we can spread the gospel. First of all, we find out in the church how we can help our church by serving with our talents and our gifts. I'm going to start calling our serving teams. I got a new name for our serving teams I'm going to start using all the time now. I'm going to start calling them the dream teams. And our greeting team's a dream team, and our children's ministry's a, green, uh, a dream team. Our, our children's ministry's a dream team. Our worship team, are they a dream team? They are a dream team. They're, they're a dream team. We have dream teams that people, as they get to know us, we're going to send them in. And together, we are going to equip each other to do the work of ministry so that we can reach more people, make better and more disciples, be disciples who make disciples. But ultimately, we're praying that this community will inspire you with dreams and how you in your own life can spread the message of Jesus' resurrection. Before she met me, Sherry broke her ankle. And I say that because I would never let her break her ankle since she's been with me. But before she met me, she broke her ankle. Very serious, very severe break uh, and fracture in her ankle. And the, the doctor had to do pretty... Uh, 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 invasive surgery on her on her ankle but one of the things that happened that was interesting she wasn't a christian at this time and the doctor sent her a note before the surgery and said i want you to know i'm a christian and i believe that jesus died and he defeated death and as i'm doing surgery i'm going to be praying that he helps me that he will be the physician that will lead to your healing and i just wanted you to know that and Sherry wasn't a Christian at the time. It made a significant impact in her life. It was a seed that was set that would later on come to fruition as she heard the gospel and believed. And you know what? I wonder how we all could imaginatively and creatively go, how is God sending me from church? It's not just about coming to church. It's about going from church as a missionary. The resurrection demands that more people hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And small ambitions for God has no, listen, has no place in light of the resurrection of Jesus. Our ambitions, John Stott said, our ambitions should grow for God in light of the resurrection. As a church, as followers, as individuals for God, we need to imagine how God is going to witness the resurrection through us, through community. So listen, walk in light of the resurrection. Watch for that attack now. It's real. And the third thing is witness to the, to the resurrection through community. Amen? Let's pray.